Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Monday, uh, August the 14th, 2023, bright and early on the West Coast. Uh, we're talking business books today, best business books of the year. Last year, um, we had Andrew Hill of the Financial Times, who organizes their business book, their best business book of the year, um, to talk about the 2022 awards. He thought that they all, one way or the other, address the challenges of contemporary global capitalism, which they should if they're the best business book of the world. Uh, Chris Miller won it last year. He's been on the show many times. Uh, his book, um, Chip War, The Fight for the World's Most Critical Technologies, acclaimed bestseller. We've had other FT winners on the show in the past. Uh, in 2020, we had Sarah Fryer, who, um, whose book, uh, No Filter, The Inside Story of Instagram, when, won their award for that year. And we're back again uh, for the 2023 awards. Uh, over the weekend, the FT came out with their long list uh, of best books of the year. And I'm thrilled that um, Andrew Hill is joining us again from uh, a wet London uh, at the Financial Times offices. Uh, Andrew, um, as I said last time, we talked about... Uh, uh, the sign of our financial times, uh, how, how your 2022 best books address the challenges of contemporary global capitalism. Does that kind of go without saying for this kind of award? Can you write a good book and not on business and not address global capitalism? Well, I guess indirectly, you can write a book about an individual part of global capitalism that might not be addressing the fate of the entire system. Um, I mean, Sarah Fryer's book that you mentioned back in 2020, the winner there, No Filter, that was that was a book about a specific element of, you know, Instagram and Facebook that perhaps shed some light about the uh, on, on one part of global capitalism. Um, I, I mean, I think last year's uh, lineup and, and to some degree this year's are um, demonstrating uh, as a whole all 15 books on the long list last year and this year taken together we aim to you know, choose books that will span across the range of things that are important to business leaders, um, business readers, um, readers of the FT, uh, customers of Schroders, who are our new partner this year. Um, those are the kind of, that's the kind of objective of the, uh, of the prize. But some of the individual books, you could say, aren't necessarily uh, trying to eat the entire elephant of global capitalism. When I was growing up, everyone talked about the FT as the pink paper. I'm sure you still do. Although back then in the 70s and 80s, it wasn't known as the pink paper because it was on the left. Today, it's certainly one of the more classically liberal newspapers um, in a dramatically changing political landscape. I'm not sure how involved you are on the committee side of determining these long lists, uh, Andrew, but do you have to be a bit careful politically? Do you not want to be seen as favoring one side or the other, particularly when it comes to issues like global monopolies, the environment? Uh, no, I don't think that's the case. I, I'd like to think that we try and try and keep an even hand here. Uh, I mean, I think there is a skew probably in 
in business books in general, because a lot of the ones that have got through traditionally to this stage and later stages of the book award, uh, a lot of them tend to be written by journalists. Um, there's a, a clear um, skew there. And it, they, journalists, obviously, we pick out books, we pick to write books uh, about where things have gone wrong or where there's a particular point of interest in a uh, an element of global capitalism. And so you might end up with a slight skew towards uh, critique. But I know because I've sat in on the judging panel that now takes on the long list and has to select from that six finalists um, that our judging panel, you know, they like to have books that range across um, the, uh, the entire spectrum. Um, we've had grumbles before in the, sometimes in the judging meeting that there aren't enough books on the list uh, that look at the kind of virtues of business, the virtues of capitalism. But the honest truth is that there's a lot of books that get entered which have a subtitle along the lines of, you know, how X brought down uh, US capitalism, how uh, the economy is going to be destroyed by this next uh, technological development. So I'd say, I haven't done the maths, there's, a, there's a probably a slightly negative skew to um, the books that get entered and possibly the books that, that get written. But I think we try the best we can to filter out uh, on, a, on an even-handed basis and pick the best books, the most compelling and enjoyable books, whatever their, whatever their political slant. Yeah, I think for better or worse, you are very even-handed. You're about as even-handed as they get. Um, you've broken this year's long list down to five categories. Before we get into those categories, the one category missing, I guess, is biographies. There's nothing about... There are no biographies of Musk or Zuckerberg or, um, or or any of the other titans of global capitalism. I know Walter Isaacson's coming out with a new book about Musk uh, next month. Does that strike you as interesting that uh, no, there are no biographies? No, no entrepreneur is considered either appropriately heroic or villainous to get on the list this year? Well, I think we, we're not we're not sold on the idea that there has to be a biography on there every every time. Biographies have have done well, and indeed have have won in the case of uh, Sebastian Malaby's Greenspan biography a few years ago. Um, so um, uh, the fact the fact is that I think it's becoming quite hard to write some of these books and get them uh, to the finish line. Partly because people like Musk. You know the, the developments are happening day to day, uh, and uh, you know I look forward to Walter Isaacson's book. I don't think it's been released anywhere. Did, did you look at it? Did you did did the Isaacson book get considered? I can't really comment on the books that were uh, considered. Andrew, but, um, I, that, that's a yes. Well, anyway, let's move on. Your first category is technology and jobs, which of course is a very muskian subject. Tell us about this particular category, which books are included and. Why you think it's such an important um, category? I mean, that almost goes without saying. Really. Yeah, I mean, I suppose this has been a trend that's been emerging over the last four or five years. Um, uh, we had Martin Ford's book, Rise of the Robots, that won a few years ago. Yeah, he's been and, on the show. Yeah, and in a way, that was that was a sort of precursor of uh, waves of books that were um, uh, that have been entered and that have got through to this phase and beyond Shoshana Zuboff's book from a couple of years ago. I'm sure she's been on. 
Um, you know, been yeah. Did she win? Did the Zuboff book win? No, it was shortlisted. Didn't win, but uh, shortlisted. Um, the I think this year we've got essentially well one one thing that occurred to me. You know, I'm a bit of a historian. And I like uh, to look back at lessons from the past. Is that there are two or three books on this list, that, all of which mention the Luddites, and this yeah. is what these books are sort of about. Really, the threat of technology. How do you make the most of the opportunity that uh, AI in particular presents and automation? Uh, and what can we learn from uh, the way in which this has happened in the past? So we've got Power and Progress, which is Darren Echomoglu's latest with Simon Johnson. Yeah, um, these are heavyweight couple of uh, MIT economists, are they? Yeah. Um, but looking back at really how the rapid advances of technology, what the socioeconomic consequences have been uh, over the centuries, uh, as I as I them. joke with you at the beginning before we went live, if I had to bet on one book getting on the shortlist, this is it. This is, we haven't had many of the books on the show. In fact, we haven't had any of them. But that's a book that I wanted those authors on the show, and I actually want to read the book. What, what is it? What, what what's the book? Um, it, it, is it more optimistic or pessimistic when it comes to power and progress? That's interesting. I mean, I think all these books, um, to some extent, the the broad books, this one and The Coming Wave, which is by the Mustafa Suleiman with Michael Baskar, co-founder of DeepMind. Um, these are books that try and sort of strike a balance. Uh, and to some extent, uh, they both, both these books say, you know, this is a huge challenge. It needs to be carefully managed. Um, and it's going to be difficult to make a path through that allows us to get the full benefits. Um, you know, power and progress is about technology above all and how you balance that with prosperity, as its subtitle says. The coming wave is uh, brings in generative AI, also talks about synthetic biology, quantum computing. Um, and, you know, it, it, the, the critical line in the coming wave is, uh, you know, that the continuing a wave, wave of change must be contained but it also talks about how difficult it is to get to be to pursue a sort of containment policy for these fast developing technologies. So when you say optimistic or pessimistic, I think there's a part in the, the coming wave where Suleiman says that he wanted to start off by writing an optimistic book. In the end, he's written much more of a, a warning, if you like. That's at least how I, I read it. Um, then we've got a couple of others in this category. Um, Brian Merchant's book, uh, Blood in the Machine, is actually explicitly about the Luddites. He's taken the uh, pretty in-depth history of, of those who were involved in the machine-breaking uprising against the early Industrial Revolution's entrepreneurs, and he has pushed that uh, all the way to a parallel with uh, companies like Uber and Amazon and what they are doing uh, mm. and how workers are going to be affected. Yeah, Brian's uh, so, been on the show. When he was yeah. on the show, I think it was a couple of years ago, he was in the process of writing this book. We definitely have to get him back. It sounds like a fascinating book. And I was like a bit of, like you, I think most of us educated in England like a little bit of history in our books. Yes, and and I think, you know, that's a, uh, we, we'd like to have a history in the, uh, in the lineup because I think if it's done well, you can draw some interesting parallels there. And then two more, which are in this fall into this sort of broad category. Um, one is um, Kashmir Hill's book, Your Face Belongs to Us. She's the New York yeah. Times reporter who broke the story about Clearview AI. Yeah, um, she's very, um, 
she's pretty prolific. She's really been focusing for years on the surveillance economy. She's a very good uh, journalist. And this, I mean, this is an outright warning, I would say, in the way in which Clearview AI managed to develop uh, an app blaming, uh, claiming to identify anyone based on uh, the picture, a picture of their face and that how that has been rolled out. I think that sort of fulfills some of the warnings that are, are contained in Suleiman's book. And then another, which is a personal favorite of mine, um, uh, Zeynep Ton's book, uh, The Case for Good Jobs, which not explicitly about technology, but it does examine the alternative approach to dealing with improving the jobs uh, that we do, uh, not by racing to the bottom with short-term contracts and uncertainty and low pay, but rather by reversing that uh, and making these bad jobs better. She started Zeynep Ton, she's from MIT, uh, working mainly with sort of retail companies, looking at how the, the ones that were successful in creating better paid jobs with more initiative given to workers. And this book extends that work with some evidence uh, from the likes of Walmart and others about how they've managed to improve um, mm. jobs. So it's, I think, a very relevant... Well, that sounds like a very interesting book. book. I have to admit, just the thesis strikes me as being unrealistic but what do i know uh we, we've done lots of shows on walmart now i guess walmart's an interesting case so you that's tech and jobs which i guess is probably the most the the deepest category you've got five in that um so of, of 15 um all of those books sound fascinating i hope we're going to get all of them actually all the authors on the show and then um, the second category, uh, Andrew, is the future of money. Again, a perennial subject. Um, yeah, I should say that these are categories that were sort of applied after the fact. I mean, in, a, in the, the way the process works is we, we put these books, we put out a request to FT reviewers, some 60 colleagues, uh, to recommend books that they've seen or, or yeah. think are coming up. We go through a process of then parceling out the entries that we get to another 10 colleagues uh, and this is what emerges and then you know out of that the 15 are selected so yeah future of money well i mean in a way one of the subcategories of the uh, of the group of the uh, book of the year award is that the book should stand the test of time now this is one it's almost impossible to to judge that and particularly i think in this case of looking at crypto and related um yeah future of money questions but we picked two here um, one of them is explicitly about crypto and very sceptical. I think crypto lovers will will hate us for this, which is Easy Money uh, by Ben McKenzie. So he's the, um, the OC actor uh, who turned his kind of uh, lockdown layoff into uh, an obsession with crypto. Uh, and he's written with Jacob Silverman, a journalist, uh, a sort of deep dive into uh, crypto and how uh, in his painting of it, you know, it turns out to be unfounded hype. Um, or, it's one of uh, several books. Being very polite, um, Andrew, uh, some of us might just simply say a scam. Yeah, he calls it a, a golden age of fraud in his subtitle. So he's pretty much in that. Uh, and in an that age camp. where, at least on the West Coast, we're all obsessed with the trial of Sam Bankman Freed. The, yes. uh, there's a lot yeah. of headlines reiterating i think what uh, what is what argument he's making yeah i mean it's a it's a fun book i think uh, you know a great general read on the topic which i think uh, 
you know, yeah. a lot it, of crypto books can get quite deep into this and sometimes lose the general. In, in terms of your FT book of the year, does a book like Easy Money, might it be in danger of being seen as too populist, too mainstream, not enough hardcore business in it? Well, one of the things I've enjoyed about uh, uh, helping to coordinate the prize since we launched it in 2005 is that we've, we've, we've got no real, um, you know, we, we are always mixing apples and pears, apples and oranges. Um, that, so you're going to have some real heavyweight economics books sometimes up against uh, what you might categorize as lighter weight books. And the big breakthrough that was made when we were putting the prize together, which a colleague of mine came up with, was not just to have the most compelling books, which might be you know, heavyweights, but also the most enjoyable ones. So often if there's a, not exactly a tiebreaker, but a discussion in the uh, among the judges, and I'm asked for my view, because I don't sit on the final judging panel, uh, often I just point them back, you know, was this enjoyable? You know, if it was unputdownable and you really enjoyed it, then it probably mm. wins out over something heavier and worthier. Not always the case. You know, Thomas Piketty won. Not everyone finds that. Yeah, everyone claims to have read Piketty. I don't think anybody <laughs> really has. Um, that one would certainly be one of my favorites if I, I haven't read it, but it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, and then, uh, also me, tokens yeah. in this category. Tell me about tokens. That sounds like an interesting one, too. Yeah, so this was one that I don't think it had much buzz around it. Rachel O'Dwyer is an Irish academic working in a sort of uh, intersection of digital platforms and culture. Uh, and her book, it's not, it does mention Bitcoin. It's not explicitly about um, crypto. It's actually about everything that is not money. So tokens, everything from your Amazon gift card to um, uh, personal uh, customer data, ways in which alternatives sort of turbocharged by technology have started to step in and become alternatives to money so that you're being people are being paid in Amazon tokens for um, working in uh, mm. some areas of the economy, uh, phone credit, um, all these areas where uh, which used to be uh, considered to be you know nothing like money, but which have become so ubiquitous as a result of technology that they actually change the way we think about uh, economics and the use of money. I think it's a fascinating yeah, sounds like an interesting one. I'll have to get her on the show, too. Um, anything else in that category? We've got two. Is there another one? Those, those are the two. I mean, there's obviously some overlap with the books we mentioned in the first category yeah. on technology, but uh, those are the two in that. In and that then, area. of course, inevitably, Andrew, uh, climate resources and geopolitics uh, and the tragic headlines of the fires in Hawaii, July 2023 being the hottest month on record, this category is dark and dismal, I guess, although maybe not. Are, are some of the books in this category optimistic? I find that there's a huge division in the kind of authors we get in, get on, keen on on this category. There are some who are really quite optimistic about the new technologies and businesses that can save us, and there are others that are just deeply apocalyptic. Did you right. have the same sense of the kind of books coming out in this area in 2022? Yeah, I think. I mean, we can't. You can't ignore the. the climate resources category. There's only one book explicitly about climate here, and that's Five Times Faster, which is um, Simon Sharp's book. He's a, he's a former UK civil servant who worked in this area. And, and this is really a sort of pragmatic um, look at ways in which three groups of people, scientists, diplomats, economists, can try and sort out the climate crisis. The, the mm. Five Times Faster is about the 
uh, the need to decarbonize the world economy five times faster this decade than in the past two decades in order to meet any of the global warming targets. So it's a, it's a pragmatic book. Um, I think one of the interesting things I noticed on our uh, story today, one of our cynical readers commented that, you know, these weren't really business books and it's been sort of fleshed out with climate books. But frankly, the criteria here is that they should be insights into modern business issues. And if climate and resource management isn't a modern business issue, then I, I don't know what is. Um, the other two um, in this, uh, or the other uh, three in this area, um, two of them are about the resource battle, um, and they're quite different, actually. Um, you've got uh, uh, Ed Conway's book. He's the uh, economics editor of Sky News here in the UK, uh, Material World, which looks at six key materials from sand to iron that are used in everything that we um, use and uh, benefit from. Uh, and it's a, I would say, to some degree, that is a more optimistic book. It is a book about kind of, it's a, a sort of an exploration as much as anything else of what goes into the things we use from batteries mm. to, to uh, um, you know, electric wires. And it takes a kind of um, overarching view of the amazing nature of this transformation that's going on of these raw materials. And then I wonder much way, if, would chip war have got into this category or would it have been in the tech and jobs category? That's a good question. I think chip war probably would fall into this to some extent. I mean, as I say, these are categories after the fact. They're not. Yeah, no, I understand. But the um, yeah, I think chip war, highly topical, as you know, from having spoken to Chris Miller, um, you know, still, you know, it's, it's relevance actually increases month by month, it seems to me. But it does cover everything uh, from the kind of sourcing of silicon and the raw materials for uh, chips through to the, the geopolitics. Uh, so to some extent, it does fall into the resource category. Um, the other book about resources takes a different material, cobalt, cobalt red, it's called by Siddharth Kara. And this came out earlier this year and was very well reviewed. Um, and it's essentially a really deep dive into the um, catastrophic way in which cobalt, which is vital for uh, lots of parts of uh, the modern economy, from rechargeable batteries um, to um, to mobile phones, how that's being mined in Congo and how that's tearing apart uh, communities there. So it's a it's a real investigative job. I mean, you asked at the beginning, what are the books here that are about global capitalism? And in a sense, this is a classic case of one that goes really deep. Mm. Sorry for the mining pun, but you know, deep into the kind of uh, one basic element and tells a story about how that is affecting. Yeah, I haven't uh, uh, haven't had the author. We're going to hopefully get all these authors on the show. But that one sounds like an FT winner. I could imagine uh, that one winning. Certainly very relevant. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, we finally there, we've got to, because it wouldn't be a, wouldn't probably be a global book award if it didn't have something about China there. Clearly China yeah. pops up throughout this. But uh, Bethany Allen, who I think is uh, Taiwan-based, has written this really critical book, Beijing Rules, um, about China and how it quite, how it's pursuing its quest for global influence across everything from sort of trade policy, which we know about, to indirect influence on what Western brands are doing, uh, what individual Congress people are doing. There's a, there's a, a great tale that weaves through it of uh, uh, of how a sort of honeypot 
trap was laid for some uh, uh, US politicians, uh, investment in technology. Uh, it's a it's a book which is essentially a warning. I don't think it's going to get a Chinese translation, let's put it that way, or at least only a very bolarized one if yeah. it ever makes it into uh, into mainland China. Well, it'd be up to Bethany to accept whether she that bolarized <laughs> one goes out. It, is the FT, uh, does it have a large readership in China? I know you're now Japanese-owned. It's a good question. I don't know the don't know the answer to that. I mean, certainly we used to we 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 had FT Chinese as a sort of version of the FT that was available there, and I haven't uh, got any figures there on on what the uh, distribution is. Hong Kong is our still our Asia hub um, for a lot of the news that comes out of the region, uh, but obviously that's getting more more difficult. And there was definitely a large readership there. Um, so, you know, I'd like to think that we are still red, but I don't know what the extent now is of, uh, of censorship of some of the things that, uh, that we might put out. Well, one thing China's famous for is it's now is it's billionaires, just like America, billionaire capitalism. And this is the fourth category. I joked or half joked earlier, uh, Andrew, in the beginning that there were no Musk's books, no specific books on Musk, but of course, on the category of billionaires, um, uh, very influential uh, Nate, I, I guess we could call today's global capitalism billionaire or multi-billionaire capitalism. What are the books on billionaires in, in the list? Yeah, so there's two books here. Uh, one of them is um, a great biography, um, well, the biography accounts, investigation uh, by James Stewart, James B. Stewart and Rachel Abrams. James B. Stewart was um, obviously very well-known journalist, but he was Right at the outset of the prize in 2005, he was, I think, a narrow second to Tom Friedman's The World is Flat with his book Disney War about the Michael Ovitz mm. years at Disney. And this book, Unscripted, uh, is about the battle for some of the Redstone's empire as Redstone himself um, began to decline. Uh, and this extraordinary battle went on uh, between uh, the, um, uh, the, the, the Redstone um, his daughter and Redstone's lovers, essentially, and everybody around them, a court built up around them. Uh, our reviewer, Josh Chaffin, said it was about sex, power, and a seemingly belief in his own immortality. Uh, those were the kind of obsessions that he had. And so this is a, a riveting read, really, uh, a sort of real-life succession. I think that was another comment that was made about uh, the book, as some of the Redstone declined and the Wolves began to circle around the empire that eventually has now now traces paramount. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an a, interesting a, book, right. very very interesting, and it's of course also about the entertainment industry. Um, yeah. And this other book on billionaires, Billionaires Row by Catherine Clark, is on the real estate industry, which yeah, uh, just is just out, interesting uh, in industry, just out or just about to be published. Um, billionaires Row. Uh, is the bit of Manhattan where the if you've been recently and stood in Central Park looking south, you can see the skyscrapers, residential skyscrapers being built, the so-called super talls uh, along 57th Street, um, making a kind of uh, mark on the skyline. And this is about the race to build, you know, everything that the um, individual uh, real estate impresarios had to go through in order to uh, try and sling up these these huge buildings. 
Um, and so through that, that's a sort of lens through which Catherine Clark looks at the kind of billionaire culture that actually fuels this kind of extraordinary uh, hyped up um, and, and, you know, engineering feat, actually. So there's a sort of, um, there's an interesting kind of uh, combination here of the billionaire, uh, the billionaire culture, the real estate culture, both, both of which have overlapped for years, of course, uh, and a bit of history there about Manhattan, plus the, kind of en the very engineering feat that put these things into the sky. In the and I hope not too much about Donald Trump in Billionaires Row, already too many books about him. Yeah, not too much. I think this is about the, 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 the new real estate. Um, these uh, the, the real real estate developers, not the fake ones like Trump. Yeah. And uh, finally, yeah. you. this is the most, I guess, business school category. I have to admit it's not my favorite category uh, andrew uh, how to fail better it's always been one of the the cliches in silicon valley that you need to fail and of course it's only successful people who who, who fetishize failure how did this one creep in this category well i think this was again um you know these are these two books are i mean I, they're ca I, i've thrown the, that sort of broad category around them but in fact uh, the first book how big things get done by blent Blent Flewbury and uh, and uh, dan gardner it's not i mean i, I like to think uh, of the kind of chat with the publishers because traditionally in publishing if you put failure in the title of a book uh, then the book itself fails i think i remember yeah. jim collins telling me that about uh, his book how the mighty fail uh, which is one of his favourites, but didn't do as well as some of the others. So, you know, I think one of the um, interesting things here, though, and what makes this a great read for me, is that this is essentially about how big projects almost invariably go wrong. They go over budget, they yeah. go over time, whether they're bridges or tunnels or skyscrapers or Olympic Games. Um, ben Flewsbury is an academic who's the kind of world expert on mega projects. Uh, and trying to make them work better. And he he and Dan Gardner draw, draw a nice kind of parallel between some of these huge projects and the more humdrum things that we you and I might do in kind of remodeling. Do they, do they get house. quite historical on this? I wonder whether big things fell more in the 2020s than they did in the 1920s. Well, we certainly Golden don't Gate seem to be getting it. Kind of, uh, yeah. project. We, don't, we don't seem to be getting any better at it, certainly. That's a message. Uh, and you know, virtually the uh, uh, the whole of the sort of mega project world is condemned by by Flewsbury. And then, you know, by coincidence, uh, well, on that shows... one, it's 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 a really interesting thesis. I was in New York over the weekend and going through um, Penn Station. I mean, oh. they're they're talking about this being you know tens of billions of dollar project, and you know that will be a big thing that will fail that will go over. Yeah, by fifty percent, and everyone will complain about it when it's done. Yeah, I mean, uh, Flewsbury uses uh, uh, a, the example of the Sydney Opera House uh, and asks people in his lectures who's the architect of the Sydney Opera House, and very few people can can know. And the reason is because it was a failure. That architect was essentially condemned to the outer darkness of architecture, uh, and never uh, never made his name on any other. Project. So, you know, there are there are interesting consequences that he talks about in this book. And then, as I say, by coincidence, we selected another book that happens to be about failure. This is Amy Edmondson from Harvard, uh, Right Kind of Wrong, her new book that comes out um, next month, I think, 
the she's best known for the uh, being a proponent and a researcher of uh, the um, uh, concept um, uh, the uh, the concept of um, uh, psychological safety and there's an element of that in this book but this is really a book about you know how to fail better what are the ways in which failure can be encouraged in order to this is the kind of entrepreneurial aspect that you mentioned earlier in order to improve the risks that we take make sure we take smarter risks as i think is the way she puts yeah, it she has a colleague of course um who's been exposed a woman i can't remember her name who an expert at Harvard Business School, or maybe the Kennedy School, on uh, on on honesty, and she's been revealed as a as a fraud. I, w- I wonder whether there'll be a book in the future about dishonest, um, dishonest uh, business school academics. Maybe it will be called uh, "How Big Things Fail" or "How Big People Fail." <laughs> Well, there's certainly an interesting book to be written about the current crisis in behavioral science. So do any of these, I mean, I'm I'm obviously not going to waste my time, Andrew, asking you who you think is going to win. My my guess, for what it's worth, is power and progress will get into the the shortlist, which will be, I know you're announcing the shortlist next month at about this time, 21st of September. Is there a category that you think sort of stands out here? I have to admit that how to fail better is my is the least persuasive character, but is there one that really strikes you as being the strongest in an FT kind of way? I think there's such interest in artificial intelligence and technology, uh, generative AI in particular, that I I would say one of those books in that five uh, might win through uh, ultimately, uh, because I think there's just such a strong interest. But you know, know, I stopped my judging or filtering role as of this morning when this list came out uh, and uh, i leave it up to the judges and sometimes they surprise us you know we've got a couple of new judges who are the judges yeah so uh Rula Halaf, the editor of the ft again chairs the lineup uh and i mean there's there's uh, i think we've got nine of them this year the two the two new ones are peter harrison he's the chief executive of schroeder's so we have an active chief they're executive your sponsor who's our, our backer this year, and so it'll be interesting to see what he brings to the. And what do uh, they do, Schroders? What are what's their? So business? it's a global, big global asset manager. Um, so uh, they they bring a kind of uh, he'll bring a global perspective to this, London London based. Uh, and then uh, the award this year is also backed by our parent company Nikkei, and so um, Daisuke Arakawa, uh, the managing director for global business, is also on the uh, lineup of judges. And then we've got some uh, repeat judges, Shruti Vadira, who chairs Prudential, the UK Prudential uh, PLC. Uh, Randy Krosner used to be on the Federal Reserve uh, Board, now at um, Chicago's Booth School. James Kondo, who's the chairman of International House of Japan, former McKinsey consultant. Erminia Ibarra, who's organizational behavior professor, uh, leadership professor at London Business School. Um, Mitchell Baker, chief executive of oh, Mozilla. Yeah, Mozilla. Yeah, she's been so on the she show. And actually, uh, Ibarra, I think, has been on the show too. So right. Got and, some... and, and yeah, Mimi, Mimi Alameya, who is the uh, former Master Card kind of development executive. Um, she's that she brings up the, uh, the total to nine. That's a good what diverse international panel. So, uh, you know, who knows what they will be interested in this year, but I think we've given them a good range to look at. 
Well, we'll have to see. Uh, your sponsor is Schroeder. Our sponsor on Keenon, our new sponsor, is Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics um, published out of Washington, D.C. They're not going to win the business book of the, water, uh, of the year, but I think they'll win the quarterly award of the year if there is one. Uh, Andrew, we'll have to have you back. Uh, yeah. Uh, to talk about the shortlist, we're going to try and get a lot of these authors on before you announce the shortlist um, in September. But we will certainly see you before the end of the year. And uh, I'm be- uh, have any of the London bookmakers opened odds on any of this stuff, Andrew? No, I haven't seen any any betting yet. Normally, they if they're going to do it at all, they wait until we've got six. Isn't on the your family list. business Hill William Hill? Wasn't your father? <laughs> no. Uh, no, no relation, nor, nor a relation to Kashmir Hill, who's the author of the... Right. Uh, well, if any of the Hills there. are watching, the William Hill people, uh, I'm betting on power and progress, but I always lose on everything. So we'll have to see. But we'll see you again probably next month, sir, uh, Andrew, but certainly by the end of the year. Yeah, Congratulations on the right. list. In all seriousness, it's a wonderful list and it's a wonderful um, prize and project. So we'll talk to you again before the end of the year. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andrew. Great to be on.